This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 776. I think it's important to say, when you buy a high school, the very first thing that you need to do is go buy some go-karts and a mini bike and rip around the school <laughs> on the go-karts and mini bikes with your friends. Perhaps the best advice ever given on Bigger Pockets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's anything you take away from the day, it's that. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here today with Rob Iltz, Rob Abasolo, my co-host, and a very cool episode for you. Today, Rob and I interview Jesse Wig, an investor in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, who's also a real estate broker and salesperson who does a lot of different things in real estate and has put together one of the most unique deals I've ever heard of, which I'm sure Rob must have had you pretty gassed up. You you like a good unique deal. Tell me what you liked about today's show. Well, first of all, I agree that was it was a very cool show. And when you said that, I thought you were going to say, Rob, joining me here in a cool shirt because I am rocking, rocking, I think a shirt that I could see you wearing yourself. What do you think? Uh, you know, I don't know if in my uh, my personal evolutionary journey, I'm at the point where I can wear a John Mayer shirt. Oh, it's his whole body too, even worse. I thought it was just his head and a guitar. This is the equivalent of one of like what a 13 year old girl would have put on her bedroom wall of Leonardo DiCaprio or Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and you're wearing it on your person on purpose. That's <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, for me, I, I am a, I'm a, I'm a mayor head, if you will. And speaking of uh, being a mayor head, we're talking today. We're talking actually to the the unofficial mayor of Munhall. Yes, we are. That is Jesse's nickname. And if you have been trying to figure out ways to creatively find deals in today's market, you stumbled across the perfect podcast. This is a guest that has a strategy that I've never heard of that absolutely crushed it. Rob's jaws and I were collectively mm-hmm, hanging mm-hmm. on the floor as we were listening. And if that's not enough, he also gets into a strategy he uses to raise the comps on all of the properties he owns in the same neighborhood while giving practical advice for what you can do to sell your homes for more when you're flipping all that and more in an awesome show we have for you today. But before we bring in Jesse, today's quick tip is simple. Consider the ways real estate makes you money that you may be taking for granted or unaware of. Today's guest, Jesse, has found several ways to create wealth that you may have never even considered, and this could open your eyes to possibilities that were right in front of you the whole time, and you never even seen them, just like the love interest in a romantic comedy. Rob, anything you want to add? Uh, just quick tip number two, buy the shirt at the at the concert. If you've been skipping out on t-shirts, I know they're 50 bucks and if you've seen a if you've gone to concerts for 10 years with the same artist, just buy it. Live you only live once, David, as the millennials would say, YOLO. Yeah, so if you're feeling really bad about how your real estate investing journey can turn out, just look at Rob wearing the shirt. You will immediately feel better about yourself. This is actually the <laughs> feel good episode of the year. Without further ado, let's bring in Jesse. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. 
Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners' capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Today's guest, Jesse Wig, is an investor and broker. He lives and invests outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The proud dad of two pit bulls and soon-to-be dad of a human. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Now, first question. Once you have a human child, does that mean you are going to stop referring to yourself as a dad because you have two dogs? <laughs> it's like the hardest question in the beginning. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Got him. Uh, <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Right out the, the hardest I one. Love you know, this. I don't think we've ever stumped someone right out the gate, David. I know. And I have to, oh, no, I'm going to get sidetracked. I said, it will be easy. I'm going to talk about myself and I'm going to talk about real estate. You know, um, uh, I'm looking, let me, let, let, I'm looking forward to having a human baby. I'm looking forward to having a human baby. Nice. Wow. What a political answer. See, this is what's happening. He doesn't want to offend PETA by saying, yeah, I'm going to stop calling myself a dad because of animals. But he also doesn't want to offend all of the human race who's like, why do we call people dads because they have dogs? And that was not fair <laughs> of me to start this thing off. But I've always wondered. Like, it's a trend right now to say that you're a, a dad or a mom of animals. Everybody's doing it. And I'm like, but I don't know anyone with kids that does that. So I always wondered. So I'd be like, I, I, st I have three kids now. I, once yeah, I no one does that. Like, That's what yeah, I mean. Once right. you have a human baby, no one says, I'm a dog mom anymore. Oh, They're like, I see. I I'm see. a. Now you're a real mom, right? I just said real mom. I might have just offended Peter there. If you're listening to this <laughs> podcast and you're an animal parent, please don't complain. We love you. Uh, but yes, this is a tricky thing. So I'm curious, Jesse, how that's going to work out. You have to let me know once the baby comes. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. I made notes. And I'm curious about your real estate journey. 
Oh, yeah, I suppose. We could talk about that, I guess, if you guys want to be boring. So today we're going to dive into an unusual but highly lucrative deal that you were a part of. A couple rapid-fire questions to give us the quick stats on that before we get into your story. First off, what kind of property is this? Sure, you're talking about the school. Yeah, it's a 55,000-square-foot 55, 55, uh, Catholic high school that myself and my partners purchased. Officially, the first person that I've ever interviewed or even met that turned a school into housing. This is super cool. This is cool. What did you pay for this property? $100,000. $100,000 for an entire school. Yep, yep. Okay, we're going to have to figure out this thing. Uh, <laughs> what's the cash flow right now? You know, um, let me say this. Uh, we probably generate close to forty-one, forty-two thousand a month uh, gross income from the building. Wow! Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. Yeah. Are we gonna get the details later? Are you gonna tell us what the net profit is? We're probably around the ballpark of netting uh, low twenties uh, a month. Yeah, I already knew I was gonna be mad. Like you said, you bought a school, and I was like, oh, I already want that. And then you're like, we bought it for a hundred k, and I'm like. You know, to squeak out a, a a decent return, we're talking like twenty k profit a year, and you are effectively, yeah, you're getting that uh, <laughs> a month. So, I'm mad. You've made Rob mad. Congratulations. Well, listen, if it makes you feel better, I'm actually only I bought it and I was a sole owner, and then I'm currently only the minority owner. Okay. Uh, so so you know that that's not all going to me. Okay. Okay. That's fine. I'm less mad. But yeah, that probably just means that you made a bunch of money selling ownership of the property. <laughs> so it's not cash flow, but it's even better. I I feel like I had a really good deal. Cool. I feel like I had a really good deal. Well, you've officially turned my partner Rob Ilt into Rob Bummed, and I'm curious to hear <laughs> how you did that. Now, before we get into it, let's hear about how you got into real estate. What were you doing before real estate? Yeah, so I uh, I was working at a juvenile delinquent dependent group home. Uh, pretty toxic and toxic environment. I was ready to get out of it. I knew an individual that was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that was flipping homes. So I moved two hours south from Erie, Pennsylvania and started working uh, as uh, like a laborer, punchless guy on this house um, that individual was flipping at 10 bucks an hour. Um, and I have a really interesting story about uh, being there if I can share that with you. Yeah, let's hear that. So uh, at, at one point, this is part of my story, I've told it many times, but at one point, um, when I was working on this home, I was laying on my chest uh, for a week straight on a pillow with a dental tool, uh, carving out grout lines that the agent had found, you know, three or four layers down in the kitchen. They wanted to keep this tile. So it was one inch by one inch tile. And so for a week straight, I'm uh, I'm carving out the grout lines because uh, they're so black and and filled with different dirt and such. So like we, we, we acid cleaned it and a couple of their options just didn't work very well. So just like scraping out these grout lines for a week. Um, at ten bucks an hour, and I and I gotta I gotta tell you, like, at at one point, laying on my chest cold because the tile was just so cold. Yeah. Okay, I was like, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was that was the beginning. Did it make you want to go back to the previous job or no? Uh, at times, because the previous job, uh, I became an assistant supervisor, and you had the ability to uh, sleep in the unit and get time and a half. You just needed a staff on site. So there were some there were some perks about that job, but ultimately I decided, no, I'm going to stay in real estate and I'm ready to make some moves. This sounds like the beginning of a Disney movie where <laughs> you're working for free in an orphanage situation <laughs> and they're like, okay, now get on your hands and knees and peel potatoes all day long. And you're like- Similar. Languishing away, crawling on your belly on tiles, scraping it with a- with a, a iron <laughs> toothbrush, like 
wondering like someday my prince will come. But you didn't wait for your prince. You went out and made it happen. So this is a pretty cool way to start the hero's journey. What did you do on your first deal as an investor? How did you get out of tile cleaner into real estate owner? For sure. Yeah. So that, that didn't go very well uh, either. However, um, the individual I was working for, I said, hey, I was about six months in uh, just construction, you know, punchless labor stuff for this guy. And I said, hey, I want to flip a house. What do I do? And he's like, find some private money, find a house that needs work, you know, a handful of different things. I started working with the real estate agent up in Erie, PA. Um, uh, that agent is now my wife. So I married oh, my realtor. Oh, wow. Yep, yep. Interesting story there. But um, so the first house I purchased, um, skipping a lot of details, I uh, I probably overpaid. I under budgeted. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't calculate for property tax, for interest payments, for heating bills, you know, just like lack of experience, just young and ready to make moves, right? Uh, my buddy and I flipped the house, did all the work from like uh, YouTube videos. And uh, when that house did end up selling, I lost $43,000 in the first house I flipped. Okay. So let's talk about that. People always talk about their losses and they're always like, yeah, you know, the first house I, I was, I lost 60,000. I lost 43,000. Did you just have that chilling in your bank account? Like what happens when that, when that happens? Oh, man, what an interesting story. So at the time that I'm renovating this home, I am bar backing. Okay. So I'm, I'm not making money. Mm-hmm. Um, when I needed to pay, uh, you know, interest payments or property tax on the home, I was borrowing money from my friends. I borrowed a couple grand here. I borrowed four grand from my girlfriend at the time, now wife, right? So I just started borrowing money. I had no money at all. So the funding on that deal was a first position from like a standard hard money lender and then a second position of a smaller amount from like a, a friend of mine that I connected with um, at a 20% interest rate. Okay, by the way, just knowing nothing. I was like, hey, how about 20%? That was your friend? So that sounds good. Your friend. Yeah, was, yeah. I don't know if they were your friend. I'll be honest. He, well, he, he likes to make money. Yeah. He's a businessman. Okay, okay. You know what All right. I mean? can't blame him. So once I finished the house, I moved to Pittsburgh, but the house didn't sell for about a year and a half later after it was finished. Okay. So probably six months in, nine months into sitting on the market, I'm like, wow, I'm going to lose money. Okay. So I realized I'm going to lose money. I honestly had no money. When I moved to Pittsburgh, I moved in a very rough house intentionally to start saving money. I was starting to save money, trying to get caught back up, getting prepared. When the time came that the house was sold and I was going to lose that $43,000, the first investor was going to be fully paid off, I believe, if I remember correctly, or very close to it. Full principal amount plus interest. Okay. Um, And then that second investor, I went to him. I said, you have to sign off on this loan. You have to satisfy the mortgage. Um, uh, and, and I will pay you back. Right. So when the time came, I was hustling. I had a little bit of money saved up. I sold my vehicle. It was a decent vehicle as a Chevy Tahoe and got a little money from that, bought a thousand dollar, like Chevy Cavalier or something that I'm driving, was able to come up with about $20,000. So I have that 43 grand I owe at the closing table. I was able to, I was able to come up with an extra 20 grand. So I paid him. Now I'm down to broke back to zero. And I told that investor, give me time. I'm gonna. I'm hustling. I'm making moves. I got my real estate license. I'm down in Pittsburgh, and I'll pay you back. It took me about a year, and I was just grinding, hustling, and I, I probably a year, year and a half, and I and I paid him off. Wow. Okay. And were they amendable to that, or were they like, okay, this is our last deal, you know, moving moving on from here, or did they respect that you were able to make it happen? I I, I mean, I have a great I have a great relationship with them today. So yeah, I mean, I think they were I, they believed me. I was I made a mistake but I'm a man of my word. And like, there was zero question that I would make them whole. And I did. And I I didn't just make them whole on their principal amount. I made them whole on the full interest. 
and that 20% continued to accrue during that time period. So cool. uh, there was no, there was no adjustment whatsoever. Good for you. That's really, really, really great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, follow-up question, not as important or impactful, but when you say that the realtor was is your now wife, did you meet said realtor for the first time on this project? So, uh, I was introduced to said realtor um, by a friend of mine, and she said, I'm getting my real estate license. And I said, I'm looking for a flip. She said, okay, I'll help you out. I said, perfect. Okay. All right. So that's the real ROI right there. You got a wife. Congratulations. Well, you know what I said? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I can't say... What I do want to say is that... um, uh, yet my very first experience with my wife, I lost $43,000. <laughs> so I give her a hard time, you know, but... Uh, but no, uh, couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. It was amazing. All right. So that was a pretty gnarly entry into flipping a house here. What got you back into investing after that? For sure. So I, I mentioned earlier, I got my real estate license and I moved to Pittsburgh while that house was still on the market waiting to sell as a flip. I got my real estate license and was just like hustling as a real estate agent. And I knew I wanted to get back into investing, but there was a lot I had to learn. So when I was down here, I was just doing a lot of networking, connecting with people, asking questions, you know, learn as much as I could. And I had to make up for that 20 or the 43 grand I lost. Right. And so, um, so I gave myself a little bit of time and just understood real estate better and the, the real estate market in Pittsburgh and then kind of weighed my options of, you know, how can I get back into it and kind of like mitigate my risk a little bit from a financial standpoint? Do you remember what some of the things were that clicked in your mind when during this period of learning real estate better? Was there specifics you can point to where you were like, oh, I thought it was this way, but I realized it was that way or a pattern that you recognize anything for people that are in that same stage of I'm trying to learn real estate, but they don't know what that means. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, and I don't, I hope this answers your question here, but the first thing that comes to mind now is like, I very rarely do a deal now unless uh, I, I feel like I have at least two exit strategies. Right. And when I went into that first flip, um, I didn't, I didn't even know about, I didn't know what a refine, like a burr was. Right. Like I, I, it was like purchase this, renovate it, sell it. Right. And there was like no backup options. But looking back, if I was in the same position, the amount of, you know, knowledge I have now, I, I would have refinanced. I would have made a, mm. a couple adjustments and probably got out of that for little to no money out of pocket. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing I would say is uh, just like having two exit strategies when you're entering a deal. So you learn how to analyze a property for cash flow. 100%. You learn, right? And that was before you just knew about flipping houses, which I think is where everyone starts, or at least the the uneducated about real estate looking at like buy low, sell high. Because we all understand that concept, whether it's stocks or whether you're you're trying to like buy a couch and sell a couch for more, you're making money on Etsy. Buy low, sell high is something we all understand. And that was how you got into real estate with just that one track mind. And then you started to learn what buy and hold real estate looked like. For sure. Maybe what what neighborhoods were better to have tenants in. You started to evaluate like if this property would cash flow uh, or how much equity would have. Is that what you're saying when you're saying you learned how real estate worked? Yeah, that's accurate information. Yeah, just, yeah, you're right. Underwriting the deal, understanding um, your options more, you know, just it was limited knowledge Mm -hmm. and like, uh, and just one track minds, perfect way to put it. And where did you go to get this information at that time? I had a mentor that I, uh, that was the, the individual that was flipping houses that I started working with for. So when I say that, you know, I asked him a handful of questions, um, but I, I just kind of, and this is, this is good and bad about me. I just kind of like make moves. Like I just pull the trigger and I get things done. You learn by doing is what yes. you're saying. And so like, you know, like I said, that's good and bad about me. I, I work with a life coach and we established very early on 
that I have an alter ego and his name is Kane. So we got Kane and Jesse. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, a bit of that. That's the way I operate. Kane kind of runs the show a lot of times and we just pull the trigger and make moves, which is helpful and hurtful at times. I think it's a good thing. I was actually just talking to a student last night who they're like, yeah, I don't know. It's a bad habit. Like, I, I I just do things when I, I'm like, no, that's the, I think that's the most important skill you can have because you can figure it out on the back end, whereas most people try to figure it out on the front end and lose every deal that ever comes across the table. So I think, it, you know, obviously you need to counteract how quickly, you, you know, you act after you take action and you need to make sure that your ducks are in a row. But I think acting quickly is the number one skill you can have as a, as a real estate investor personally. I, I couldn't agree more. There There's no question whatsoever that, uh, uh, the reason I've reached a level of success is because I take action. Yeah. And in general, if I had to pick between the person that carefully analyzes every step, that's my personality is probably more that way, which is why I end up being a pretty good educator because I have to understand every single piece of the engine before I trust to get in the car and drive it versus the person like you that just jumps in and does it and figures it out as they go. Your personality will event will ultimately learn faster and be more successful if they don't quit. Uh So uh, I don't want anyone to hear this and think like, oh, you're being reckless. The key to people like you is learning if you're if you know you're just going to jump in and do things, mitigating risk becomes incredibly important. You don't want to put your whole nest egg into the first deal when you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to figure it out. Right. So like learning how to know I'm going to make mistakes. It's going to bleed money, but I'm going to learn quicker. So make sure that I don't lose all my money or all my time or all my opportunity is uh, is extra important. So. Getting back into moving forward for you, walk us through your strategy for how you're increasing value and setting your own comps now that you understand real estate better. Yeah, for sure. So uh, after I moved to Pittsburgh, uh, I moved to an area called Homestead, Munhall, West Homestead. It's three boroughs, uh, you know, all kind of together here, uh, literally across the river from Pittsburgh. And um, I saw that there was a lot of opportunity here in real estate. Uh, To be very frank, um, the area uh, is a little rough in sections, um, but uh, there was a lot of opportunity based on location, uh, some of the development that was already in the works right there on the waterfront. Um, and so I realized that um, being an agent, I work with a lot of buyers. And so I can understand what is interesting or appealing to them. And so I realized there was an opportunity here to where if you can create a cool enough product, a trendy enough product, then you can kind of pull buyers to a certain area. Like you can get this house for 115000 or 150000 you know what I mean? Like after renovated. And so, so what happened was, or what I do, I should say, is the concept is fairly easy. I'll buy five homes all in the same area, okay? Um, all five of those houses I'll renovate just as nice, except house number five might be on a street uh, that's a little bit nicer than those other four homes, Okay. In addition, I'll put a little extra money into the house that I'm going to sell. The items that I put money into doesn't necessarily make the home more valuable from an appraisal standpoint. It makes it more valuable from a, like a sell. It's like more sellable, right? Yeah. You're going to sell it quicker. That's right. If a bedroom has an accent wall, right? It looks cooler. It's trendier, but it's not going to appraise for more. Okay. And so what I do is I renovate all five. I place tenants in four of those homes. House number five, I put a little more money into it and I sell it for as much as I can to create a comp and increase the value in the area. So from a flipping standpoint, I'm different than most people because all of my efforts are in one area. And so over the years, I have increased the comps to, and now when I say this, doesn't mean all the houses were the same criteria. Some were a three bed, some might be a four bed, but it can show you that general idea. The first house that I flipped, purchased, renovated, 
the resale number was 115,000. And that was a big deal for the area. Okay. 115, 150, 190, 212, 270, 425. Um, and so all of the homes that I own in this area are continuing to increase in value because of the comps that I'm creating. So I play a big impact in this market. Um, and uh, I've been doing it for years now. This is why it is so important to have a good real estate agent selling your houses. If you're flipping homes, if you're just selling anything, because the point you made gets missed on so many people. Value can come in many different forms. Like just when you think about how we determine what a property is worth, there is not one singular agreed upon metric for determining what it's worth. There's what an appraiser would say it's worth. There's what a different appraiser would say it's worth. There's what it's worth from a cash flow perspective. Yep. There's what it's worth if you were to sell it versus if you were to hold it. There's what it's worth to a buyer on the open market that really wants it. It is a real estate. We talk about it as if it's this objective numbers oriented entity, which you do have to approach it from that way if you're trying to make money. But values are incredibly subjective. And you, your point really highlights that, that an accent wall to an appraiser is worth nothing. They're not going to give you the extra $12 of value for the paint that you put on it. But to the person who's buying it might make them pay five grand more than a different house that had the same bedroom bathroom count because they want to make sure their offer gets accepted, not someone else's. And real estate agents who live in this space, we see this all the time. We see the people that come to us with a home and we know this is going to be hard to sell. It's got outdated stuff. It looks ugly. It smells musky. But the person who owns it says it's got the same bedroom and bathrooms as that house that sold for 270. Why would mine only sell for 220? You're ripping me off. But we know that house had a landscaped yard, really pretty area, nice view, closer to the school. It got four offers. That's why it sold for 270. Yours is going to get zero offers until it sits on the market for two months and then we reduce the price. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good point and a very accurate. And um, because I mentioned this earlier, but being an agent, I I have good insight to what uh, buyers are looking for. And like the truth is the vast majority of time people are pulled or like there's heavy emotion involved in the home. And if it's a really cool, really trendy house, right? Like people are willing to pay more, period. So it, it, it's not a sure thing you're going to get the appraisal and there's challenges with that every time. Um, but that that has worked for me so far, and I'm uh, continuing to do it. Well, it's tiny little pieces of information that lead to big results. Rob, what do you think about this whole thing? Because you're not a real estate agent, but you're kind of a fly on the wall right now. So the thing that I'm looking for clarity on is when you were talking about the strategy, I thought you were saying that you were making one really nice so that you can sell it at a higher rate, so that you could sell the other four, uh, basically. But it sounds like you just placed the tenants on there. So what is the purpose for making that fifth one nice and selling it at a higher one if it's not necessarily benefiting like your next flip. Does that make sense? Uh, I think I follow what you're saying. So let me try to answer that for you. The, the idea here is that like, I'm not looking and that's where I say a little abnormal than other people. I'm not looking to make money on my flips. I'm looking to increase the value of the home in the area as much as I can, because that will build my net worth from an equity standpoint on the four Got homes it. that I keep Got the tenants it. are in place. Got it. So let's say you break even on the flip, okay? And you bought it at a price where all the homes were valued around 200 and you're able to sell it for 250, but you broke even for whatever reason. Yep. And yep. you have four other homes in that neighborhood that were valued at 200 that now get pulled much closer to 250. Theoretically speaking, 
if every one of them goes up by 50 grand, you have four of them, you just increased your net worth by $200,000 by breaking even on a flip. Oh, okay. Exactly. And so that's why I'm willing to, like, that's where all my efforts are here. And that's where I'm focused. I'm, I'm very long-term goal oriented and I'm working on building my net worth, not the quick buck on the flip. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I've continued to build value in the area and build equity. Oh man. Jesse, I love this man. Yeah. I'm really glad <laughs> I clarified that. Cause that, that is genius. Cause you basically made 200 K on that flip. That's exactly right. And, and the truth is there's times like my, one of my most recent flips, I mean, we worked on it for 12 months. It was a very long project. Right. And I, and I made 10 grand. When I say make 10 grand, if I work on a project for 12 months and I walk away with $10,000, I lost money. Right. You right, know, right, right. Um, but, but the, but the increase in value of all the other properties. And, and what's funny is that there's a lot, it's a small community and there's a lot of people that have lived here his whole life. And like, every time I list what I call my comp setters, people are like, no way. There's no way you're selling that. And I have every time, you know I mean? I'm not saying that's going to continue, but uh, it's worked. Here's why I think this is incredibly important for everybody who's trying to make money in today's market. It is harder than I've ever seen, Rob, I think you probably agree, to cash flow and to make money in real estate right now. Like you, it, it's possible to do as a house flipper. It's getting close. I don't want to say it's impossible. It's getting incredibly difficult to find a good cash on cash return on real estate because of the competition we have. And in order to thrive in the market we're in right now, you have to break out of the cash flow uh, microscope that you're just looking at this one way to make money in real estate. You make money several ways in real estate. And I've been talking about a better way to look at money rather than just cash in the bank is money is a store of energy. The store of energy that we call cash is when you keep money in your savings account or in your checking account. And flipping houses, if you do it well, can increase your energy in that storage vehicle, but it's ineffective because you have capital gains taxes, you have risk that you're throwing into this entire thing, you have market fluctuations where you can actually lose money. So you try to flip a house and lost $43,000 out of that specific storage. Equity is a different way of storing energy. It's stored inside of the asset and your strategy, though it's semi-complicated, although it's, it's actually somewhat simple if you understand it, uh-huh. is a way of amplifying the energy that you're storing in the other properties that you have. It's not being taxed. You have vehicles to get the energy out of it, a cash out refinance, a HELOC if you want, a 1031 sale that's going to be uh, tax friendly, different methods. And though this might sound like it's uh, fancy, for lack of a better phrase, it's not at all. This is very fundamentally sound approach to real estate investing. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I tell people. I mean, it, it sounds like uh, it, it sounds like it could potentially be difficult, but like all my efforts are in just one area. And, and I think most people don't do that. You know, I mean, challenges, finding deals and things of that nature, but like that, that it's worked for me and I'm continuing to do it. You know, it, it, it's essentially burying an area, yeah, an entire area. Yeah. You know, if you want to look at it that way. Well, it's also how realtors tend to look at geographical locations. We look at them like farms, right? Like you want to send all your mailers, do all your door knocking, hold all your open houses, ideally in the same neighborhood because you're touching the same people. You're building up your presence and your brand in that neighborhood. The same people are seeing your for sale signs on houses when they're driving to work. You could sell 10 houses across the entire city of Pittsburgh or 10 houses in one location 
And if you sell them in one location, that's going to give you an amplified exponential return on people that come back to you to sell their house. So you've kind of taken that approach that realtors have and applied it to the world of real estate investing, and you've seen similar results. Do you think that's where you got it from? No, <laughs> no, it's not where I got it from. To tell you the truth, uh, where I got it from was I moved to this area specifically because I have pit bulls, as we mentioned earlier. Okay, I'm a dog dad, right? I moved to this area specifically because it's difficult to find a place to rent when you have pit bulls based on breed restrictions. So I had a friend that had a house that was like really rough shape. Anyways, I moved here. And after I moved here, I knew I could pick up real estate for very inexpensive. I mean, I bought a house for three grand. I bought a house for five grand. So very, very inexpensive. As you can imagine, needs a lot of work, right? But once I was here, I thought, uh, I thought, I, I believe this house is worth X amount, okay? And it's like, but there's nothing else saying it based on the comparables that it is. And I said, how, how do comparables come about when a house sells? Right. And that just blows my mind. It's like, okay, well, I can make a big impact on this market by creating something that a buyer will be so emotional about that they'll pull the trigger on if I can get over that appraisal hurdle. So it was more about like I was creating a cool product in an area that I wanted to focus on. And um and and I knew it could be worth more. And so I knew I just had to sell a house to create that comp. That's what it was. And how long had you been outside the Pittsburgh area? When I moved to, when I moved to Pittsburgh, I moved to this area, Homestead, Munhall, West Homestead. I, I say that because they're all connected, you're interchanging. But like, I moved directly here. When I say when I say across the river, I mean like literally across the river. Like I could probably throw a baseball and hit Pittsburgh. Okay, uh, I'm not very good at baseball. I could probably throw something over there. A rock. Yeah, a rock. A rock. So the we've already established this is a really genius strategy. I mean, kind of since since sort of going this route, setting your comp and everything like that, how has it been working for you on the grander scheme? Do you feel like, is it one of those things? Because it seems like you sort of have to do it a few times before it really starts kind of having an effect on a zip code or a neighborhood. How's it actually panning out for you now? For sure. The first, I mean, when I first got back into real estate investing, right, I did one deal a year or two deals a year. So I'm not making an impact on the market. Skip ahead seven years um, and people start to catch on and see what's happening. And someone's like, a home sold for 220? A, a, a home sold for 270? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So the area starts gaining some traction, gaining momentum. And it's not just me over here anymore. I feel like I was a little bit of a pioneer for an, to an extent from a flipping standpoint or renovating standpoint in the area and uh, became fairly known in the area in a short amount of time for taking these risks and putting that type of money into these homes. But um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a collective effort between multiple different investors in this area now, and just like the community in general. It's just definitely getting stronger and, you know, there's getting a lot more attention and it's, it's, it's turning. That's cool. It's definitely transitioning, revitalizing. You've, you've earned somewhat of a, of a moniker, like a, a nickname in the area, right? <laughs> uh, there, there are a handful of people that call me the mayor of Munhall. Very yes. cool. Hey, listen, it's the, <laughs> it's the titular title, mayor, unofficial mayor of, of Munhall. And David, do you remember what titular means from our last podcast? Uh, I remember it was looked up. Yes. It means significant in name only. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Look at you, Dave. Well, I'm glad that you broke it out. Cause I had no idea. <laughs> I just nod and laugh. So yeah, <laughs> that's the same thing that I asked Rob. Why are you saying that? Do you even know what that means? <laughs> and I was like, basically, and I gave the answer and you're like, that's not what it means. And then I gave a congruent answer that I think, that I think counted. Uh, anyways. Um, okay. So love this, love, love the answer to that. That's really amazing. And I think it's super smart to, to kind of go about this way. It seems like takes a little bit to build, but honestly, probably not as one would not as long as one would think. Tell me, like, how long had you? So you, you said that you kind of moved right outside, whatever. That that's where you moved to. How long was it? Were you there before the school came along? Yeah, so I've uh, I've been in this area for probably 
six or seven years, I would say. And um, I purchased that school about uh, about three years ago. So I guess I was investing for about three years. I started to become known in the community. And so people were connecting me with deals, off-market deals, not even, not, not even wholesalers, just like I was known in the community because I live in the community and I invest in the community. And so like people are like, hey, I know about this school, individual needs to get rid of it. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to check it out, you know? And so it was brought to me. And so we picked it, I picked it up in 2019. And I think it's important to say that when you buy a high school, the very first thing that you need to do is go buy some go-karts and a mini bike and rip around the school <laughs> on the go-karts and mini bikes with your friends. So we already did that, right? So that was a blast. Perhaps the best advice ever given on, on bigger pockets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's anything you take away from today, it's that. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds pretty amazing. Um, I'm, I'm jealous of that, of that bucket list experience right there. It was awesome. Your competitors are fighting for your customer's attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You, you got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com.
So someone brings you this this high school, and then you're like, I'm gonna turn it into a giant house. What like what what were you even? What did you even have in mind when when it came across your desk at first? So when I first got connected to it, and you walk the building, it's just like wow. This structure is amazing. Just the building itself is amazing structure. Beautiful brick, huge windows, tall ceilings, um, terrazzo floors throughout. Like just huge auditorium, very cool gymnasium. Like when you walk into the building, like you just, it's just a vibe, right? It's a really cool space. And it's like, man, I want this. I want to be involved. I believe in this area. I think I can figure something out with it, right? And so, um, you know, we went under contract at a different number after I ran or did some inspections and things of that nature, phase one inspections, such I was able to get him down from uh, what we were under contract at of 175 to 100,000. So yeah, after I acquired it, uh, first thing we did was grab the mini bikes and the go-karts. And after we messed around for a few weeks, I knew that I needed to connect with partners to get this deal done, whatever we were going to do, uh, because of the size of the job and from the financial standpoint as well, it was just like beyond my means. And so I started uh, asking around, talking to people, explaining that I had it, think, uh, you know, brainstorming on different ideas of what I could do. And I connected to an individual, his name is Dan Spanovich. And uh, Dan and I went back and forth for a little while about uh, partnering up. And he had had experience converting uh, a property before, uh, like a conversion school to, um, or maybe it was a warehouse to apartments. So we started having that conversation. But the truth is, like, we couldn't come to an agreement on evaluation of what he would buy in at. And so it kind of fizzled and like, and I lost Dan, if you will, from a partner standpoint, we couldn't come to an agreement. So probably a month later or two months later, I was connected to another individual, a friend of mine, Adam Colucci from New Jersey. Uh, And we started talking and after he walked the building, he was just like, I want in, I want to be a part of this. So we quickly came to an agreement on the valuation of the property uh, and became 50-50 partners. After about maybe a year of us spinning, spinning our wheels, trying to figure things out, come up with a plan. Uh, we reconnected with Dan Spanovich and came to an agreement on the buy-in. Um, and then he got back into the deal. And, uh, and, and from that point forward, we, we knew we were going to do apartments. Uh, so, you know, the truth is that Dan uh, was the brains of this operation and we couldn't have done it without him. Okay, this is a really good background into this very intriguing deal that neither Rob nor I or anyone else I know has ever heard of. We're going to jump into this traditional deep dive style now that we have an idea of what this thing looks like. So how did you find this deal? The deal was brought to me off market because I'm plugged into the community, the truth. Okay, so this is just people that know this guy buys real estate and they said maybe maybe he'll buy this thing that we need to sell. Yep, that's right. And, and there was individuals in the community that really believe in the community community. Uh, becoming revitalized transitioning right and so they're bringing me deals because they know i'm taking action very cool yep when you put yourself out there i've been telling people to send me unique deals and stuff on instagram lately and people send them they do because a lot of people are too scared to take on a school or on a unique property or whatever but they want to see it get done because they want to see it have new life right so very cool man uh how did you negotiate it uh, so uh, they were originally asking two hundred twenty-five thousand. Uh, I I knew that the seller was in a tough spot and had to get rid of the property, so it was already kind of a fire sale. Um, and after I put it under contract, I got it under contract for one hundred seventy-five thousand. Uh, once I did my inspections, phase one study, and such, um, you know, 
I'm not surprised, but we came across asbestos um, and a few other things. And after I got the remediation quote, it was 75,000. At this point, it was, you know, weeks into the deal. And we were getting very close to the point in which the seller needed to sell. And so right or wrong, I knew that I kind of had the leverage here. Yeah. And so I said, hey, I want uh, 75,000 off for this asbestos remediation um, and I'm not moving forward. And they said, okay, done. And we closed a few weeks afterwards. So that's how I was able to get it. Uh, you know, significantly cheaper than even they were asking. Did it end up actually costing 75K to get the asbestos remediation done? I, I believe it may have been. Yeah. yeah, I believe it may have been. I mean, I, th- I, think, there were, I think we may have got, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was in that ballpark for sure. Okay. And how did you fund this deal? Uh, investors, a private investor. So uh, I, I have experience with single families and small multi-units and been doing that for a while. And it was a private individual that funded the deal. And uh, what did you end up doing with it? Was it a flip, rental, burr? Yeah, so we uh, so um, we did a, a full conversion. Uh, we converted the the school to thirty one apartments, um, and uh, and we're keeping that uh, keeping it as rentals. And more importantly, you rode go karts all over the entire place to, to, cri- <laughs> to christen the purchase. That's the extra income is the the go kart track income that they that they produce in the gymnasium. Rob, we may need to do the same thing in Scottsdale. <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> Put a go kart track. And even more importantly, we got to talk about the details of that. In the gymnasium, there was a water leak and the gym floor had bowed so much that there was this big, like, we'll say jump, we'll say, we'll say mini bike jump. <laughs> it was bowed so much that, uh, that we would, we'd come ripping around through the cafeteria and hit this bump that was in the gym, gymnasium floor to jump in. I mean, I got videos. It was a good time. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So what was the outcome after all was said and done? Yeah. So we, uh, all in, uh, we're about three point three million into the school, uh, and our most recent valuation was four point seven million. Wow, that is not what I expected on any of that. That is that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you could have paid the two fifty, and it probably wouldn't have even barely made a dent in this deal. That's funny. <laughs> right? I was not expecting numbers that big. No, when you were saying not. you could have you whittled them down to a hundred. <laughs> I know. Um, and so, uh, w- with that being said, uh, I I think that I. My dad called this my golden goose. We all know that this was a killer deal. You'd very rare, if ever, come across deals uh, that you're going to be able to build that much equity and have that much cash flow in. We purchased the school across the street. Uh, and I can tell you, although a great investment, we would 100% do it. It's, it's not going to shake out to be the numbers that we have on the first one. Yeah, that's the reality of real estate investing, though. Sometimes everything goes your way. Sometimes nothing goes your way. You kind of have to take the good with the bad, and people don't like that because it's easier to look at everything individually. It's just that's not the way that this world goes. Sometimes the city gets involved and makes your life hell. Sometimes they're like, oh, my God, you're finally going to do something with this. Let's help you. There's so many variables that you can't always lock down. It's definitely part art and part science. Uh, What lessons did you learn from the deal? Anything in particular that uh, you came out of this, you know? Kind of like, oh man, okay, now I'm ready for the next next one of these. For sure. Yeah, we definitely learned a lot. Um, I mentioned this earlier is that Dan, uh, he was our savior, man. He ran the show. He knows what he's doing um, and he did a great job at GC and the whole project. And so, um, you know, there's there's definitely a lot I learned. I uh, have a lot more experience than I did previously. You know, things to look for such as like the size of your utilities, like can the electrical withstand, um, you know, 31 apartment units, uh, you know, microwaves and dishwashers and things of that nature. So, you know, what size of electrical do you have around the building? The size of your water line, can it support 31 apartments? Um, you know, do you have a standpipe for sprinkler systems? You got uh, ADA compliance. 
you know, so there, there was a lot uh, specific to, you know, larger apartment buildings that I wasn't familiar with and learning about sprinkler systems, learning about ADA compliance, um, you know, and, and the size of utilities that you need was just a, a very informative um, for sure. And I got to imagine there's, you know, if you're buying something, I know a lot of times these older buildings come with tax benefits. What was that whole situation like with this school? Yeah, so a huge piece there that I haven't even touch on yet is uh, we worked with the National Park Service and we were able to obtain uh, historical tax credits. Uh, maintaining a lot of the original character of the of the property itself, original windows and auditorium doors, certain things of that nature. So uh, there was a huge uh, tax benefit there. We were, we were able to obtain close to three quarters of a million of uh, historical tax credits. So, but I'm assuming these are credits that came from you buying a property in this specific area where the government said, because you revitalize this area that we really want to be rejuvenated, we're going to give you tax credits moving forward. Uh, that is a correct. Yes, we got both state and federal tax credits there. So we were in a historical, uh, uh, I guess, a historical tra- tax credit area and had the ability. So we went through an application process. Doesn't mean you're approved, but we got approved. And we're actually getting approved for the school across the street. So as of now, it looks like we're getting 630000 on that property. It's just, this is another great point of how money comes in more than one way with real estate. And we can miss it when you just look at cash flow or buy low, sell high. They basically gave you 150 grand a year and in tax credits rather than giving that to you in cash, but it's the same thing. A hundred percent. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. It's like, wow, you know, more knowledge wrapped around this. It's like, I should buy one big building a year to obtain the historical tax credits if I can, right? I won't have a tax bill. Yeah, it's certainly like we've often said it's hard to find good deals, but you can make good deals. And I notice a lot of people, they look for this home run deal. I want to buy a place for a hundred grand that's going to be worth 4.2 million or whatever it was. <laughs> I can't find one of those. What am I, what am I supposed to do? But when you add up a whole bunch of base hits into the same deal, you get the equivalent of a home run. It's just looking for all those different angles, like what you did. Absolutely. All right. So what's next for you? Like you're doing another school across the street. Is this going to be your thing? You're going to become the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh school converter? (laughs) You know, a few things that I won't go too deep into, but um, yes, we have a school across the street. I personally acquired a school a couple months ago, likely not going to convert it to apartments um, at this point. Um, But another thing I'm focusing on, I, uh, two partners of mine, were putting together a real estate fund. So we're looking to get a fund up and running soon. Um, and then uh, another item I'm working on, I'm working on a, a startup company, property tech company called Viewing Time, um, that will essentially allow uh, tenants and buyers to view properties with a one-time code themselves after they become verified. Uh, so we're currently talking to some VCs and get ready to um, hopefully launch that in the next month or two. Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, I think there are a lot of good takeaways from today's episode. The big one standing out to me is that you can be successful at something that you failed at. At the on the on the at the very first go of it, right? You had this this flip. You lost forty three thousand dollars at it. Most people would not continue on after that. And fast forward to today, and you're an extremely successful investor that owns one of the coolest properties in Pittsburgh. You got a, a tech component of your of your business too. Uh, you have no intention of slowing down, and it all comes from a failed flip. I mean, going back to that, would you ever really want to change? the outcome of that flip. No, you know what? I, this is what I always tell people. I'm genuinely happy that I lost money on my first flip from the amount of, you know, amount of stuff I've learned. It, I would have preferred it to be five or 10 grand, you know, at sure, time, but sure. no, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't be, uh, I'm, I'm happy with what shook out because it put me in a place of where I am today. 
Yeah. So you hear that, everyone? Go go lose $43,000 on your first flip. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, now we found you by being featured on CNBC's Make It. So shout out to them for putting your story out there. For people that want to learn more about this fascinating investor doing things differently than most people we interview, where can people find out more about you? Sure. Yeah. You can connect with me on Instagram at Jesse Wig, J-E-S-S-E-W-I-G. And, and I'm on TikTok as well. Same thing, Jesse Wig. Do you do all the, all the funny dances and then you point and then the text shows up? And you're like, five? No. Okay. no uh, I literally don't know about this. Yeah, I guess <laughs> oh. I've been off for a little while. Jesse, it's terrible. Okay, I want you to imagine a 49-year-old real estate agent <laughs> with no social skills that is terrified to actually go on social media that gets talked into this by the 23-year-old in her office. And yep. so rather than talking on there, they do this little like bounce thing where the music plays and there's a little <laughs> bubble that pops up that says like, do you think you need 20% down? And then they point up here and they dance and it says, well, you don't. You can do it for three and a half percent down. And then they point in another direction. DM me for more info. It is the cringiest, most horrible thing. And it spread like wildfire. Like just. Oh. Yeah, no. I, well, I haven't done that. And Thank- I haven't even seen it, actually. I need to get back on. Check it out. No, no, you don't want to see it, man. Okay. You don't. That's okay. why I'm saying I'm like a groundhog. I poke my head out. I see that on TikTok. I go right back in my hole. And I'm like, I'm not looking at this anymore. Cut to two months later. And that's all David's feed is going to be. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. All right. Well, you can find me on TikTok, not doing any of that stuff. Also at Rob Built. Uh, on Instagram at Rob Built. I do a lot of reels. I do a lot of trends, though. I bring the comedy on TikTok. They say I'm the Walmart of comedy in the world of real estate. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube at Rob Built as well. What about you, David? Yeah, I highly recommend everyone to go follow Rob as well. He comes up with e- original stuff based on a background as a marketer. I know I'm getting serious right now and you were being funny. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. And he's not just copying any trends. He sets trends. And that's why he's my boy. Carry on. Uh, you can, keep you going. can find me at no, no, no. Uh, David. Like, oh, we'll yeah. You want to hear up. more? Yeah, a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. <laughs> you can find me at davidgreen24.com or follow me on all of your social medias, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you use, at davidgreen24. Add the E at the end. And look for the blue check mark, which I have now, so you won't be taken advantage of. Jesse, this was a fantastic show, man. I love it. I mean, you gave a ton of value from flipping houses to set comps in the area that you're investing in to investing in all in on one market to seeing opportunity in a property that other people miss to partnering with different people to make it come to fruition. This has been fantastic. So thank you very much. We're going to have to have you on again in the future to get an update Absolutely. on where things are going. What's one piece of advice you can leave our listeners with who are struggling in today's market? You know, if it boils down to, I've thought about this, the reason that I've reached a level of success is uh, um, I just take action. I just take action. Is that simple as ask a question, go to a networking event, get online, read, just just make moves, take, take action. Nike, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Just do That's it. That's it. And to our listeners, thank you so much for being with us here today. We really appreciate you all. And we hope that you enjoyed this show as well. If you did, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. Those help us a ton. And check out our YouTube channel as well. Don't consider leaving us a five-star review. Take action and leave the five-star <laughs> and do review. It. And just do <laughs> I it. I love that. I love that. This is David Green for Jesse Just Do It Wig and Rob, the Walmart <laughs> of comedy. I'm a solo. Signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. 
You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.